0: Welcome back to QAV episode six ten, season six, episode 10. We're recording on the 7th of March, 2023, straight out of the ASA webinar. First one we've done for a couple of years. Uh, how are you doing, TK? Back in Sydney today,
1: I see. Back in Sydney, yeah. Got ready with me, so we've got a few days up here. We're playing in a charity golf day on Friday, which will be fun. Just a bit, a bit sort of uh, tired after a two-day drive back from Cape Shank.
0: Yeah, I bet. So, what, what do you and Ruddy do now that you're both off the booze? When you're hanging out together, what are you drinking? That's what I want to know. Is it tea? Is it chocolate milk? Is it Clayton's and soda? What do you What do you drink?
1: It's generally flavoured mineral water. So don't buy shares and Kirks because <laughs> that's what we. <laughs> my consumption's gone through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we drink, I think it's Schweppes
0: diet tonic water. A lot of diet tonic mixed with a bit of grapefruit juice is our sort of go-to drink these days. It's very exotic for us.
1: I've been able to buy this diet tonic water with uh, blood orange in it, which is nice.
0: Yeah, we've had that a couple of times too. That's nice. Well, uh, let's get into investing stuff, TK. The buy list yesterday had some commodity updates We've also, you know, we were talking last week about, I think, Grain Corp and what its underlying commodity chart was. And I think uh, we were using one of the Stock Doctor ones, W Hash, but uh, Kane in Sydney, Jewelry Kane, I said, got to come up with a nickname for Kane. Kane uh, suggested that. He had another chart, a trading economics chart for, I think it's USD bushel prices, which he said seemed to map a lot more closely to GNC. And I had a look at it and I think he's probably right. So that was the one that I used yesterday. Have you had a chance to compare that with the Stock Doctor one?
1: Yeah, I actually did it last week as well. So I've got it in my notes to talk about it today. But so well done, Kane. But same thing, I found trading economics wheat graph was a better match. Something happened with W hash a year or two ago where it's just sort of halved, it looks like. So they've done an adjustment to the unit there some, somehow, which is, you know, buggered up the long term graph. But uh, yeah, trading economics week is good.
0: I'm just looking at the comms status. So some changes we had this week gold became a buy again, crude oil became a buy, copper became a buy, and aluminium. Became a buy, so a lot of, lot of changes in the comms this week. Wheat is also a buy, by the way.
1: That affects the buy list a lot too, because there's a few gold stocks on there now. There's a few oil stocks on there now. So yeah, have a look, people.
0: You got any macroeconomic analysis to say why these all became
1: buys again? <laughs> I'd just be guessing. I mean, gold is always said to be the hedge against inflation, and we're in a high inflation period, so potentially that and oil. Look, there's a couple of things about oil. It's obviously the war in Ukraine, but that's been going on for a while. The relaxation of the COVID, the COVID policy in China was meant to drive up the price of oil too, but I'm not sure if either of those are the reason in and of themselves.
0: I read some analysis in the financial review this morning about China. Apparently, they just had a some sort of Congress and their uh, forecasts for their economy are a little bit softer than people were hoping for, their growth for the next year, their targets, I think, 5%. Well,
1: I think it's realistic. That may even prove to be ambitious, but it's more realistic than what they used to use of, I think, 9 or 10% in the past. So China's clearly coming out of the sort of, you know, it's, it's upgrading its economy. It's coming out of that sort of third world status where everything's where labor's cheap and it's now uh, no longer necessarily the manufacturing shop for the rest of the world. So its growth will slow. Who is now? Oh, it's spread. I mean, I hear different things. Bangladesh, parts of Africa. Vietnam. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was interesting reading the articles in the Fin this morning about this. They were saying, well, on one hand, we don't trust China's numbers anyway. But on the other hand, this is what they say their numbers are going to be and it's lower than what analysts were thinking. And that's a bad thing. I'm like, well, is it? Anyway, uh, they were saying it's not necessarily going to be the uh, boom time, another boom time for iron ore as had been previously forecast. But I guess it doesn't really matter for us because we don't listen to forecasts anyway. We just see, you know, we're, we're <laughs> yeah. retrospectively, we don't forecast. But I want to speak about commodities a little bit further. BRI Big River Industries was a stock I was looking at last week. I think I bought some for the Light Portfolio. It says on Stock Doctor, Big River Industries manufactures veneer, plywood, and form ply and distributes building supplies. I think It's a typo in Stock Doctor, then distributes building supplies, I think it should be. And I was trying to figure out what uh, the underlying commodity would be for that. Got any Insights.
1: I think we've used lumber in the past, haven't we? For timber, that would be the one I'd look to. And I guess the general comment about all these things is that if you're a Stock Doctor subscriber, it's reasonably easy to call up the five-year monthly share price for the company, and then you can overlay a commodity graph, assuming it's in Stock Doctor. Not, in the, not all in Stock Doctor. And you can see if there's a if there's a correlation between the commodity and and the stock which is why we first looked at W hashtag for wheat and found it didn't quite match. So I went looking for trading economics and it matched better there. But even if you can't, if you're not using Stock Doctor or you're using trading economics and you can't overlay, you can still have a look at both graphs side by side and see if the peaks sort of correspond to each other and the troughs correspond to each other. I did that for lumber in Stock Doctor and I wasn't getting a, a great match, but I can't think of much else to use. It's mainly timber or lumber.
0: Right. I'm in mean, lumber futures in Stock Doctor. Oh, compare. Okay. There you go. There's a little compare button. Got it. Yeah. Thanks. I hadn't done this before. Yeah. That doesn't really map very well at all, does it?
1: No, it doesn't really. But I think that was the only one available in Stock Doctor. I don't think they have a timber. No, not that I can see. I did see BRI also had a concrete business as well. So, Perhaps the timber side smoothed out by concrete. Right.
0: Well, that's the way I always smooth out my concrete is with timber. I get <laughs> a big piece of timber and I just, you know, I just drag it across the concrete.
1: When did you last concrete?
0: Um, <laughs> I watched I watched my dad uh, lay a back patio in about 1975, Tony. That's my entire experience laying concrete comes from that. It's
1: about the last time I did it too.
0: He, was, he probably drank about 12 bottles of beer when he was doing it, so I'm not sure that it was a good example of how to do it properly. All right. New rate rise coming today, they reckon, Tony. The RBA's meeting again?
1: In about an hour's time, so we might may even know it during the recording. But, yeah, forecast to go up another 0.25. Uh, inflation's still stubbornly high in Australia, so everyone expects it. Who knows? We'll see, we'll see in an hour's time. There's no need to speculate. I did have a look just on that. I did have a look at the mortgage rates of the banks, the big banks between our, our last show and this one. And they've come back a little bit. There's a lot of competition going on for mortgages amongst the banks. So I'm getting a rate now of around uh, 6.48 I got. So around 6.5. So if people want to update their their QAV spreadsheets or the check against dividend yield, it's now 6.48%, which is down from, I think it was about 6.8 something. Up until recently. But yeah, it's interesting. I I think uh, the mortgage market is very hot and that may, I mean, not that it affects us, but it may have an impact on bank stocks going forward if they're having to discount a lot to get uh, market share.
0: Well, getting back to the RBA, uh, they're copping a a shellacking in the financial review. It's just story after story in the ABC and the financial review I've seen in the last couple of weeks, just complete shellacking, echoing, I think, some of your concerns about the RBA you've expressed on the show?
1: Yeah, I think watch this space with the RBA. I'm, well, some of the articles are suggesting that the whole structure of the RBA will change or the board will change. So currently it's uh, the governor is usually comes from internally within the RBA. They've been around for a long time. They're an economist and then they appoint external board members, typically from business. I think there might be a union rep on the board as well. I think some of the noises coming out of, or in the articles I've been reading, is that they may change that. So it's all, it's a board of economists going forward. I'm not sure if that's going to be an improvement, (laughs) given the one economist in charge has um, had a few stumbles in the last 12 months, but we'll see. I also suspect that given that they're, you know, when when a government focuses on an institution like this and does a review, there's usually a reasonably substantial change coming out of it. They're not going to just waste a year of reviewing something and then say, yeah, it's good, tick, move on. So I wouldn't mind betting that some of the powers of the RBA get passed back into the government, probably into the Treasury Department, away from the RBA board. But we'll see. Full speculation on my part.
0: Makes me think of the uh, government-funded history that's just been written on our involvement in the intervention in East Timor. You read about that?
1: I heard you talk about it on the podcast last week, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Incredible, is not it? Incredible, yeah. Spent, what, five years and millions of dollars writing the history and then get it and go, oh, geez, let's, <laughs> but, uh, let's bury that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Not just that, but the whole Buggings you know, scandal of uh, the... And that, and it's, yeah, it's germane to business because it was um, Woodside who were pushing the government to... Give him any inside running on contract negotiations, and um, yeah, the government said, "Okay, sure, we'll, we'll bug the bug the other side." And then uh, when the whistleblower came out to the to call the government on it, he was slapped with lawsuits. And can't remember the story now. Did he go to jail? And then the uh, witness K, yeah, witness K, did he go to jail?
0: Witness K and his lawyer Bernard Collery, I think, both did some jail time. Both have been subsequently uh, released. But I think Witness K did a couple of years. I don't know how long Collery did. I was having lunch with a mate of mine yesterday, another Brisbane podcaster, Trevor Bell, does The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove, which is a weekly politics her. He was telling me he just read Bernard Collery's book, which he said is uh, amazing, really, really amazing insight. And just the way that he, a lawyer, and Witness K were treated by the Australian government for revealing their dirty laundry, it's just... Uh, but it's China that we need to worry about. It's China bugging. China's yeah, right. <laughs> treatment of people we need to worry about, not the Australian governments. We're getting sidetracked here. Let's talk about ASIC suing Mercer Super in its first greenwashing case. Saw this in the financial review the other day. Uh, the corporate watchdog has accused retail superannuation giant Mercer of misleading members about the sustainability of its investments in a landmark greenwashing case. It is the first time the Australian Securities and Investments Commission has taken a company to court alleging greenwashing after both it and the consumer watchdog pledged to crack down on this sort of misconduct last year. ASIC alleged Mercer superannuation, which oversees $27.5 billion in assets, misled members of its Sustainable Plus Fund by claiming it excluded companies that were involved in carbon-intensive fossil fuels but then heavily invested in 15 stocks from the sector, including AGL Energy, BHP, Glencore, and Whitehaven Coal. It also told members it excluded alcohol producers and gambling outfits from the fund, but then invested in 34 companies across the two sectors, including Crown Resorts, Tabcorp, Budweiser, Carlsberg, and Heineken.
1: (laughs) That's literally astounding, isn't it?
0: Like, what were they thinking? Like, uh, how did they think they could get away with this? Uh, boggles the mind.
1: It does, doesn't it? I sort of didn't see the article. I just skipped through the headline when um, I was reading the paper. But when you sent me the link, oh, I was just absolutely gobsmacked. And then further on, Market Forces superannuation researcher Brett Morgan added that the case should put funds on notice that their sustainability claims would be tested. He said that eight of 11 major super funds' sustainable investment options analysed by market forces, including the Mercer product, were potentially misleading consumers by investing in companies expanding the fossil fuel sector. Eight out of 11.
0: Yeah, and ASIC, <laughs> it's obviously a big enough problem that ASIC had called out that they were going to crack down on it. I mean, calling it greenwashing, I think, is doing them a favour. I mean, it's just, it's fraud, basically. It, yeah, they've taken
1: fees for for something they're not delivering.
0: With claiming they're doing one thing and then hoodwinking investors by doing the opposite of that, and marketing it under this greenwashing thing. You know, this I don't want to make any allegations because I haven't checked this with my lawyers. But there's a great book called The Psychopath Epidemic that uh, people <laughs> should really read. Like when I see this sort of this is the sort of stuff we talked about in the book, right? Just businesses just doing stuff that. On paper, it reminds me of the whole robo-debt two thing, the, the, the commission that's been going on. When you hear these stories, you just shake your head and go, what were they thinking? Like, how did they think they would get away with this? How did nobody put a stop to this at some point in it go, hold on, sorry, we're doing what now? We're saying we're doing this, but we're really doing the opposite? No, wait, whoa, 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 time out, time out. Let's, let's stop and talk about this obviously either didn't happen or if it did happen, that person got told to shut the hell up and, you know, didn't make a noise about it for whatever reason, didn't go to the press, didn't go to it. It's just, you just hear these stories all the time and you just got to, well, you know, my conclusion writing the book was this is evidence of psychopathic cultures where they just think they can do whatever the hell they want and even if they get caught out, so what? They'll get a slap on the wrist the profit that they make will pay for the fines. Nobody goes to jail, and every you know the media cycle turns. Everyone forgets, and do uh, so we just go about business? Right?
1: Yeah, risk and reward, really. And like, yeah, you know, I've worked in some big companies. You, it's very hard to do anything without it being legal. So I'm surprised that Mercer has done this. And it's just, you know, the market forces who may be, you know, biased in terms of trying to find problems because they're trying to get people to invest in sustainably. If they can find 8 of 11 other funds who are doing the same thing, I mean, this is max of fund managers going, oh, but they do it. We've got to do it to to keep up, you know. And it's just incredible. And, the, you know, the, they've got large incentives to do it. And it begs the question, if they, if that industry is doing it on this issue, which is so easy to check. <laughs> you know, what what are they doing with other other uh, funds? Yeah, what else are they doing and and I know that and I won't say that I won't say I won't allege anything. I know that a number of analysts in the super fund industry point to the fact that there are a lot of unlisted assets in large industry funds in particular and that if you look at a comparable say a, a real estate investment trust that might have a large amount of commercial property in it and then you look at its performance over the last twelve months, and the asset and the way the asset prices have been written down. And then you look to a super fund that claims to have large amounts of commercial property in it, and the assets haven't been written down. You know what's going on. So if they're doing it on this issue, what are they doing with all the other things that they tell the public?
0: So there's a couple of other things that that came to mind when I read this. Number one is, apart from how did they think they were going to get away with it, is why did they feel the need to do it? Is it because it was too difficult to find enough green funds or green companies to invest in and to still get the kind of returns that they have to get to keep their jobs or to keep their members? And they figured they had to color outside the lines in order to get the sort of returns that they needed to get. Or if not that, then what's the motivation for doing the opposite of what you tell your customers you're going to do, what your your mission is? There has to be a motivation in there somewhere. And I'm not clear on what that is, but I think it'd be really interesting to know more about it. Hopefully, it comes out as part of some court case. Secondly, we've talked about you know our attitudes or your attitudes, and, and I, I agree with you on investing in coal companies and mining companies etc even though we may morally and ethically say yes we wish we could stop all mining tomorrow that would be a good thing and if you know there's a way of supporting that we will do it at the same time as you say buying shares in a company as long as it's not part of a an issuance isn't really giving money to the company so it's neither here nor there and the the third thing that really just jumped out at me is, you know, we, we've talked many, many times on the show about how the financial services industry in this country is just rife with just ripping off customers. And this is just another example of that. Like, we just had the Haynes Royal Commission yesterday, <laughs> and here we have more. Like, you would think the financial services sector after the Royal Commission would, <laughs> would go, whoa, it, <laughs> Better lock our shit down for a while here. You know, we better better fly above. <laughs> we better be above board and fly right here for a while. You know, there's yeah, you know, the, there were big penalties and very embarrassing testimonies and all of that kind of stuff. A lot of media coverage, despite the Liberal government trying to uh, prevent it from happening for many years. And here they are, just like still at it. Like, like what? Again, it gets back to the side. Like, ah, uh, my, I, I just can't get my head around. How you run a company like that? After that, and then go, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, we, we got out of that. Okay, let's just <laughs> go back to the well. Say, so like again, this is the the suggestion to me of psychopathic organizational cultures because I can't I can't figure out any other explanation for it. But anyway, the point I wanted to make is just that you just can't trust anyone out there. You can't trust. Yeah. don't trust us even. Honestly, don't trust us. Don't trust anyone. Trust no one. As Fox Fox yourself. Center. Do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't trust anyone, right?
1: Well, yeah. And I think I spoke about this before. If, if sustainable funds have traditionally charged the fee premium, so there's yeah. a, a real incentive for a fund manager to say their fund is sustainable, they can put their prices up. And as is probably the case in some of these funds, they're doing nothing different. They're just charging more for it. So there's a great incentive to call yourself sustainable. And it's either lax behavior or it's hyper-competitive behavior. Um, I know if they're including coal mining companies, they've had a great run in the last 12 months. So the temptation is always there because the fund manager is not just judged on their sustainability, they're judged on their performance. So there is a great uh, competitive force there forcing them to try and get the best performance. But gee, I mean, I haven't done the numbers or the analysis, but I'd be pretty sure if I took the QAV buy list and took out coal stocks or you know whatever stocks we want to exclude, we could still put together a decent portfolio and get above market returns from it. So it's almost it could also be laziness on the fund managers' part to just take an existing fund and slap a new label on it and charge a higher fee.
0: We should point out that these are allegations at this stage. We're not accusing, uh, well, well, we're, we're, ASIC are accusing, we're not accusing. (laughs) We're reporting. Yes. There's this great quote here from King and Wood Mallison's financial services partner, Sarah Yu. And among other things, she said, there is an organizational structure piece to ensure that these risks are appropriately managed. Is there? (laughs) (laughs) Well, she said there should be. She's like, Oh, they
1: should. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, but, I bet well, there is. Well, isn't that called the board <laughs> and the management? Isn't that the organisational structure piece?
1: Or the legal department.
0: Yeah, the legal department. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe we should have somebody who uh, looks over what we're doing and makes sure we're not doing anything illegal. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. I don't know. It just boggles my mind, man. I just, what the hell are they thinking? I always have to ask myself. Speaking of um what the hell are they thinking? Gary pointed out that a couple of our old favorites, LAU and IGL, are about to hit the SP All Ordinaries Index. I didn't see a bump, but then Andrew pointed out that it takes effect on March 20th. That's that about two weeks away. So would we expect to see a bump?
1: Uh yes, but um it's kind of it, it can be a ongoing bump. So both shares are doing well. Once they're in the index, though we should see a bump from index funds buying it, but they won't be obliged to buy it on day one. They will try and massage that a little bit. And also too, some funds will you know, be buying it now that it's been announced to try and get that bump. So the bump may have already occurred. And then there are fund managers out there who try and predict what stock is going to be included in what index and they're buying it last month. So there's a few bumps along the way. It's not, not one clean bump. But certainly, being a part of that larger index will definitely support the share prices of the companies. It's, it's um, a bigger pool of people to invest in their companies.
0: Well, I think uh, we hold those in some of the QAV portfolios and may hold them in my own portfolios. I can't really remember. but um,
1: I hold IGL, coincidentally, because I was you know, doing a Champion Challenger portfolio a couple of years ago, and it was in there, even though it's much smaller than what I normally invest in.
0: Yeah, right. Well, good. Oh, let me see. Lau got it in a couple of the dummy. I've got it in the dummy portfolio and a couple of holdings of it in the light portfolios. And um, I don't hold it myself. By the looks of it, I don't hold IGL either. But it's in the dummy portfolio and the light portfolio. So yeah, hopefully they all do well. Oh, it's up eighty five percent IGL in the dummy portfolio. (laughs) Wow, and Lau is up eighty nine percent in the dummy portfolio. So. They've already been
1: good. The bump may have bumped already.
0: <laughs> may have bumped already. Pre-bump. Bump. Speaking of uh, people who say crazy things, uh, Jerry Harvey.
1: <laughs> Allegedly.
0: <laughs> well, no, he said it, uh, and it sounds pretty crazy, but uh, according to Rear Window in the Financial Review, there he goes again. Absolutely on cue, the final day of reporting season. As always, Jerry Harvey has delivered another bizarre results sideshow. My advice to you is to sell your house, sell your boat, sell your car, put the lot into Harvey Norman shares and then ring me in three or four years and you won't need to be a journalist anymore, he told this newspaper's Chanticleer column on Tuesday. Geez, where have we heard that before? Five years earlier to the day, Harvey said, if the share price goes down to $4, then sell your house, sell your boat, sell your car, sell your house, buy Harvey Norman shares. Harvey Norman shares closed that day at $3.85. On Tuesday, they closed at $3.85. That could have been a long five years in the rental market and on trains, trams and buses. <laughs> so uh, what do you think about Harvey Norman and Jerry Harvey? I mean, <laughs> should you be taking investing advice from uh, the CEO of a company, Tony?
1: Well, again, we invest on the facts and the numbers, not the story that's spun by the CEO. So uh yeah. <laughs> it's take it with a grain of salt. Great quotes in this. But, and Not just singling him out. All CEOs take them with a grain of salt when they say things like that.
0: Yeah, it was. I think it was last week or the week before We were t- somebody in the financial review was complaining about CEOs in denial. But I, I love some of the quotes in this article. The miserable old bastard, his words, not ours, went on to whinge that the market is undercooking the value of the company's property portfolio, which is carried in the account's at $3.9 billion, and the company's market cap is just $4.8 billion. So the property is more valuable than platinum and gold, but it's not regarded as that, he says. How nonsensical for Jerry to complain that the market is lowballing his real estate assets when the market's caution is caused entirely by his refusal to provide reasonable transparency on those assets. Anyway, I thought it was a funny article, taking a crack at Jerry.
1: It is a, it's a good article. I enjoy a rear window. I guess additional background, analysts have complained for a long time about the Harvey Norman accounts. And they're a bit different to most other similar type companies, retail companies in particular. For a start, they do own a large property portfolio and most retailers have worked out that uh, that's a low growth game and they're better off putting that into a trust on the side. And anybody who wants to invest in the real estate side of things and, and get a good yield can do that. But the operating company is the main game, and so they've split those. Westfield was the classic example on that one, or they they just do a sale and leaseback. They they sell Bunnings, for example, have transferred their property into a the Bunnings warehouse property trust, and then the um, operating company part of West Farmers. So Jerry hasn't done that, and additionally, he he has a, a relationship with his store managers, which offers support. So it's not clear there's a lot of aggregation of the relationship between the stores and the centre office and who's paying franchise fees and who's on support. So it's very hard to work out from the accounts anyway, what the bottom line number is for that company.
0: Well, um, just for shits and giggles, I'm looking at Harvey Newman in our checklist this week. currently has a QAV rating of, 0.04 and a quality score of 50% so we won't be buying it but thanks anyway for the suggestion mr harvey
1: yeah i popped up on the buy list in the past but he's very rarely there
0: what do you got on your talking list for this week tony
1: yeah so sticking with the news i, I did notice that guy the bell who used to work at the rba i think he was second in charge there and left, uh, went across to Fortescue Future Industries and then cited family reasons for resigning and leaving that quickly after joining. He's now popped up in a super fund called the Australian Retirement Trust. So it seems like the family issues have uh, quite quickly resolved themselves. And uh, so it it does lend weight that um, there's been some people jump ship from Fortescue, which is a little bit worrying for me. Anyway, that was Guy DeBell. On the so on Maya, I noticed their share price is down recently. They're getting close to reporting their results, I think. Myer? Yeah. They're usually a month after reporting season because they, they don't want to have a December 31 oh, right. end of year date because that's their busiest sales period, Christmas and New Year and Boxing Day and all that. Interesting thing was Solly Lou thought they were a good good enough to buy another 3% of. So in Australian company law. An existing shareholder who has more than 19.5%, I think it is from memory, is allowed, if they buy any more shares, they have to launch a takeover for the customer, for the entire company, sorry. However, if they want to continue to buy shares, they are allowed to buy 3% every six months. It's called the creep provision. And this is a a well-worn track for Solly Lou to get bigger and bigger stakes in companies. Did it with DJs. They've done it with other companies and he's doing it with my now. But he likes what he sees and he's bought 3% more of Maya.
0: And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and, and the Bible and uh, the Private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc. etc. Sign up for the two week free trial and check all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing qav style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio and if they become a sell, we email our QAV Light members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash G L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right. Have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 001292718. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.